And while polish definitely helps you stand out, it's not worth not being present in the first place. Welcome to the Stream Coach Podcast, the show that helps you step up your game as a professional live streamer. And now, here's your host. She's a dirty junk rat man on Overwatch, Ashney Christ. Hi, friends. I'm so excited to have you back again this week to the Stream Coach Podcast. If you are a consistent listener of the show, you will notice that the intro changed. So the way that we're going to run it now is that we're going to have a little clip in the very beginning to kind of like tease the story and tease what we're going to be talking about in the episode. Then we're going to have an introduction by someone in the streaming community. So recently I tweeted out that I was looking to work with VO or VA enthusiasts and kind of get them on the show and get the show to be more than just me talking about all of these things related to streaming, but also to get it to be more of a community space. So I wanted to kind of connect with people that this show specifically is for. And I got some great response. I uh, got a ton of people that sent me some voiceovers to introduce and close out the show. So I'm really excited to kind of introduce you guys to some new streamers that you may not have heard of before. Now, aside from that, I do really want to jump into this interview pretty quickly because this is a lengthy, meaty interview. This one is very tech-focused, and we're going to be talking about Streamlabs OBS versus normal OBS with Epis Vox, who is a technology-based YouTuber who provides a lot of really amazing tutorials. The way that I actually found him was through his OBS course that he just released on YouTube. He released... I think like 50 videos all at the same time and they just all came out at once and it was this entire giant course for people to help them figure out all these issues that they've had with OBS or to really get their creative juices flowing about how to make their stream more interesting by kind of stepping up their production game. So we're talking to Epis Fox in this episode and we're going to be talking Streamlabs OBS. If you haven't heard about Streamlabs before, they are an alert company. So basically what happens is whenever you subscribe or you follow a Twitch stream and you get that alert on your stream, that is one of the organizations that is making that happen. And they just recently came out with their own broadcasting software, which they used OBS as kind of a, a starting point for. But now these two companies are kind of going to split apart and become two different things. Because Streamlabs is more focused on like Twitch streaming and you know they also do like YouTube and, and provide alerts and stuff for Mixer and all of that. Um, but they are able to kind of create more features in their broadcasting software to help streamers of this specific niche and not just streaming in general. So if you haven't heard of their actual OBS, some of the f cool features that they have on there are that it gets set up the oh my god so from setup to live it only takes 60 seconds so it's super super quick um for people that have used obs to set up a stream before you know that the first time you used obs you were probably extremely confused and you didn't know what a clr browser was or how to set up a scene or anything like that so they've made it extremely simple they also have a really large library of overlays and these overlays let's see they have 3000 designs 250 artists and you're able to use these overlays in 
Streamlabs OBS extremely quickly. So you choose an overlay and it's there. It also saves CPU usage because you have everything in one window. So you don't have to have a separate window for Twitch chat, for your dashboard and your video, for your Streamlabs, for stream labels, for OBS. Like you have everything integrated into just one window and it's extremely amazing and very very useful and easy for you to just pull up one window and everything is there for you to be able to monitor your stream efficiently they also have this really cool feature that i love and it's called face masks so whenever somebody either donates or subscribes they have the option to choose a face mask for you which is kind of like a snapchat filter so somebody subscribes they're able to make you into like a kitty or something it's it's pretty funny and interactive and i love it they also have really great video encoding so they've really gone above and beyond by trying to optimize like x264 and invink encoder settings if you don't know what that is we'll talk about that a little bit more in this episode in this interview so yeah it's just really easy they've made it really simple it's really great and i highly recommend it i think streamlabs is kind of trying to take over everything and be that like one-stop shop for streamers so let's jump into the interview with epis vox and i hope you guys enjoy Oh, also, forgive me, guys, for the coughing. I recorded this episode while I was sick, and unfortunately, there's some coughing in it, but it's fine. The, the information is still super good and valuable, so I hope you enjoy. If you haven't met me before, my name is Ashley Christ. I have been on Twitch since 2013. Um, I've burned out probably 30 different times, <laughs> and uh, I was full-time for six months. And it was a really great journey, but... Uh, I noticed after just burning out so many times and trying so many different things with my content that I was like, I don't know what the difference is between me and somebody like Dr. Disrespect. Like, why does this guy have like 30,000 viewers? And, you know, I'm sitting here with one one thousandth of that. <laughs> so all of my content now is geared towards helping spread the information that I've spent the last like two and a half years figuring out. And that is how to build a successful channel, how to build a community, especially because that's really what we should be focused on if we're creating content online, um, and just how to create value and spread a message and help people. And so today, <laughs> we're going to be doing that with Epis Vox, who has a really amazing YouTube channel and creates some really awesome stuff with or as far as like helping people step up their game with the technology and production side. Epis, do you want to go ahead and tell us a little bit more about your content and your journey um, and why you want to kind of help people out in this way? Yeah, sure. Um, and thank you for the good intro. Uh, I've, um, I've been doing YouTube videos since the early 2000s. Like YouTube was first made. Never originally with the intention of doing full-time until I was doing really bad gaming videos until around 2013, I started making my first OBS tutorials and they, they weren't great, but it was a new software at the time and people were wanting to learn how to use it compared to fraps and the other things everyone used back then. And so I just made a couple walkthrough tutorials of here's how you set it up and use it. Things at, at the time, my style was mostly a learn as I do, like, oh, I want to learn this software, but I don't have the time for it. I can justify the time if I make a tutorial with it. And so they were pretty rough cut, but they started to do really well because I was decent at search engine optimization stuff and there just wasn't a market for it yet. And 
eventually that became clear that's like what my channel focus or you know what viewers were most coming for and what they wanted to see and so 2014 i made the switch to or the end of 2014 i made the switch to switching to tech full-time and now my focus is mostly on uh, tech educational stuff I, I do some product reviews but mainly like educational courses like my big obs course i just released and just trying to make things simpler because i feel while there are a million how-to videos on youtube a lot of them are lacking either the depth that some people are looking for or a certain level of polish or even just the right thing because a lot of tutorials are like I'm doing this specific thing for this specific reason and you might be able to glean like one setting from it but that's not what you're trying to do and they don't show you how or it's written with notepad still and things and so I try to put an extra layer of polish and the right accessibility I guess to it to make sure that people can learn how to do things because technology is fun as long as you don't get overwhelmed with trying to learn it and especially with streaming like there isn't a good streaming software where you can just magically have a push button go live and it works and everything works out perfectly and so trying to make things a little bit easier for something that pretty much everyone wants to do at this point is just where I want to see the software go so I want to help provide the resources because there's not always the greatest things out there. That's awesome. I really like that. So you're actually trying to like provide value to people in a way that isn't just like trying to stretch a two minute video into a 20 minute video just right. for the watch time. Right. That's really awesome. So how often do you actually stream on Twitch? Like what's your experience on the Twitch platform itself? <laughs> well, not often enough. Hey, no judgments. And, I'm not, yeah. even if it's like I've streamed once, I'm okay with that. This is fine. Yeah, that's, that's how it is for me. And that's mainly because it's not my full-time thing. And like, I'm actually, although it may get revoked soon, because it's been probably nine months since I streamed, but worked my way up to affiliate status right after it was released back in like March. And that was really cool because I was transitioning from the job I had, which was working for a YouTube network to doing my own thing and working for myself full time. And so I had this weird gap of time where I had so much time I didn't know what to do with and I really wanted to get into streaming and I'd streamed off and on for the longest time but never really like committed. And so I was doing like eight hour stream days, like four days a week going nonstop for like two months and got affiliate status and it was great. And then I hit a wall where I started actually making my own big projects and part of doing all that streaming inspired me to make a more polished OBS course. Because I'd made a bunch of videos back in 2015-ish um, that was sort of a course, but it wasn't, it, ha it had some roughness about it. And so I wanted to do better and to put something out there that I could leave up and not feel like I need to constantly update. And so I hit that wall where I was just working on this big pro or like so many big projects and finally getting the feel for how my content schedule balance and work-life balance should be. And I stopped really having time where I felt like streaming or if I did have time to play games, I didn't want to be energetic and on camera and things like that. And I pretty much haven't streamed since like April or May. Mm -hmm. And I feel really bad for that because I was doing really well and I built up some cool viewers who were hanging out for certain games. Someone walked me through uh, a game like Neo, which is kind of like Dark Souls where I have a lot of fun with it, but I suck at it. So in order to make progress, I needed help and I got a nice little community going and then I just kind of hit a wall and never came back to it. So hoping to keep that going this year, but that may also just mean it's another springtime thing and then I don't come back to it. I don't entirely yeah, know yet. I feel you. 
I feel like there's a huge difference between, and this is, I mean, obviously there's a huge difference between Twitch and YouTube, but do you feel yeah. like creating YouTube content is just easier? Or like it me? fits into a schedule easier? For me, yes. <laughs> um, I think for a lot of people, Twitch Twitch is actually always going to be easier. Mm-hmm. Um, because like if you're if you're someone working like a normal job or you have a school schedule or something, and this is when I originally got into streaming was because of this. It's way easier to just kind of come home, flip on your stream, hang out, and then go to bed. You don't have to worry about any extra steps. The time you put in is the time you get out of it. It works a lot easier. When you're kind of trying to focus on this for a more significant portion of your time or going full-time, the actual scheduling and like time management required makes YouTube way easier because otherwise mm-hmm. you just stream all day and then you feel like your day's gone and then all you can do is finish up household stuff and start back over and it doesn't feel as productive and it makes it harder to get anything done in terms of like bigger picture stuff because the day-to-day grind you literally have to be you know there on camera on stream all the time Mm -hmm. and that can be extremely demanding and just doesn't always work out well for me and for people who have the most flexible schedule yeah for sure I feel that really hard. I noticed the the difference immediately whenever I was streaming full time, <laughs> which was just absolutely crazy. And then going to making YouTube content, I feel like YouTube just, oh, it's it's such a blessing. And I am so mad at myself that I didn't start doing it so much sooner because right. <laughs> uh, because it's just, uh, I can literally sit down and record like a week's worth of content edit it all within a couple of days, and then I don't have to worry about content for the next week. Right. Whereas with streaming, if I'm not showing up every single day at the scheduled time, like it just doesn't it just doesn't create growth. And so I feel like for that <coughs> God. For that kind of situation, <laughs> it's just so much easier to fit YouTube into a schedule. And I really like recommend people to do both. I think it's just so smart. But Oh my god, hang on. (laughs) (laughs) I will say, I have, uh, especially last year, it seems like the initial wave of everyone going full-time with Twitch, Mm -hmm. we finally had a lot of articles come out over the past year of people who seriously, like, they've devoted their entire lives for the past couple years to streaming, and and then they share these stories about how they literally do nothing else because they feel like they can do nothing else. And that's pretty problematic like i realize for some people that may work because they're going to do that anyway if they're just going to play games but like overall like you start to lose your ability to like have a life even if it's just for yourself and that's something that's always scared me off of streaming i used to always think when i'd see the big streamers like oh that must be the best thing in the world to just literally wake up play video games and stuff but the more (laughs) i look at it the more i'm like i would never want to be a full-time streamer and there's plenty of people who can and should but i'm not one of them like that I, I need to be able to work on something, take a break, work on something that happens two weeks from now while I'm working on this thing. Mm-hmm. And because there's not a whole lot you can do if you're just doing Twitch to like get ahead. It's just what you're doing right now. And that part stinks a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. It's really sad to see all of these people that have put like so much time and effort into the platform. And then now they're like, oh, I just, I can't do this anymore. I can't. I'm, I'm streaming 10 hours a day, like six or seven days a week sometimes. That's just too much. So let's talk about the actual, one of the biggest pieces of Twitch, which is the technology side of it. 
this is something that I struggled with like <laughs> so much whenever I first started streaming because I feel like something always freaking breaks. <laughs> Literally yep. like right before I stream every single time, either the internet's going down, OBS is messing up, something's going off. <coughs> so let's see if we can't kind of get a little bit of your knowledge as far as how to set things up to be more consistent and how to set things up to make it a little bit more plug and play versus setting things up um, in a way that really makes you stand out. And so that's really what I want to go over today is just those those two different things because there's a there's definitely a lot of time that you can invest in this um, as far as the technology side of stuff goes and that really can make you stand out and appear unique to people which is extremely important when you're building a channel and there are what like four million other broadcasters <laughs> um and you know just that having that plug and play option though is also extremely important as well because we just want to make the barrier to entry as low as we can we right. like the easier to do means more likely to do so if we are going to be consistent with our streams the easier that we make it on ourselves, the better. So talk to me a little bit about how you can set up something to be extremely easy, but that can still look professional. <laughs> what do you feel like are the like bare bones um, kind of things that you need to have set up in your broadcasting software? First and foremost, I would say just to keep it simple overall, uh, I have found that, and actually someone just mentioned that in chat, that a lot of people will wind up, like they'll stream once and then they'll want to perfect it and then they never stream again because it takes so much, they spend so much time on the back end. And the same thing applies to YouTube and everything else. But like my biggest break, well not my biggest, but like my big break when, when it finally convinced me to really like focus on YouTube things, which was back in 2011, but was I was live streaming me doing my homework in a YouTube or in a YouTube in a college library. I was just <laughs> testing things out. I couldn't focus on the actual essay I was writing, so I figured I'd test out OBS and the fancy internet connection at the library. And so I pulled up the live stream while I was just typing up my paper. And someone who was friends with a big YouTuber found me, and that turned into a huge thing. And there was no polish there. And while polish definitely helps you stand out, it's not worth not being present in the first place. And so with OBS, a big thing is, and applies to any streaming software, of course, but is to get, get spend a, a lot of time at first setting things up to where you know they work. Do test recordings. Don't go live and then get mad that your microphone isn't working. Just tell it to record and then start tinkering with your settings. I have a full course that shows you how to use them. Uh, set up just the basics, your microphone, your webcam, your capture card, whichever you are using, and you don't need all of them necessarily, but set it up and make sure it works, and then stop. If uh, if that's already testing your patience, take a break. Test, check your test recording as long as it works. Make sure your profile's saved. Close it. Go do something else. Cool down. Come back. It'll be way better to go to add different layers, because if you don't get it right the first time and then like or you get it right and then spend too much time being frustrated and close it down and then screw up all your settings you're going to be even more frustrated the next time you come back to it so obviously you want your resolution and frame rate set correctly which 
can sound scary, but typically it's 720p or 1080p and 30 or 60 FPS. You can determine that based on what capture card you're using or what your internet speed is. That's usually the best way to determine because your internet speed is kind of your ultimate bottleneck in terms of what you can stream. So in a speed test, and I usually say uh, about 70% of your internet speed should be your max bit rate. And so if it's a low, slow internet speed, you're going to want to look towards like 480p or 720p. And that's okay, as long as it looks good. A big thing everyone wants to do is they're like, I have potato internet, but I want to stream full 1080p. And then I'll suggest, okay, but it'll look better if you do 720p and just smooth things out. But I want to do 1080p. It's like taking, I don't have, I don't, uh, I meant to have it in front of me, taking a rubber band and stretching it out. If you have a small rubber band, it works best for small uses. If you stretch it out too much, you can get it to wrap around something bigger but it won't be as high quality. It might break or something like that. Mm -hmm. The same thing with video settings. So if you have slower internet, go with lower quality settings and it will look better, even though it may not, you know, compete with the high tier. You want to focus on your physical workspace a lot to make sure that you can leave things kind of in place, even if you are unplugging, like if you use a laptop or something and are unplugging them, but like things like a microphone arm so that your microphone can be moved out of the way, but doesn't need readjusted five times and you're hitting all the settings and then you can set it up in OBS. Um, if you're wanting to actually have purely like things you can get rid of, capture cards are going to be a problem in terms of unplugging them and replugging them because they will register as different devices and things like that. So be careful there. Um, but if you're just doing like computer capture, you can set all that up, restart your computer, move it to a friend's house. And most of that's going to stay intact. Um, and so that's usually fairly easy to work with. I want 8K resolution at 240 FPS. Yeah, okay. That'll work out. <laughs> <laughs> Please. Don't we all? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but the big thing is to keep it simple at first because even with professional, like I've interned at radio stations and things like that, everything goes wrong before you do a live broadcast. Like I, I specifically don't want to work in live production on like high tier productions because there's more to go wrong. And the same thing with your setups. Like, the more complicated you make it, the more likelihood things are going to go wrong because there's more points of failure. You know, your fancy video intro might not load. But there's a one of the biggest YouTube tech channels does a weekly podcast, and pretty much every week their little video they try to play at the start of their stream doesn't work. And, like, that's an inside <laughs> joke, and that's funny. But if you're trying to make sure that it actually works, it gets a little bit annoying that it might not work every time. Um. And the big thing is anytime you want to change something, uh, this is actually a like actual technical thing. Uh, OBS has what's called profiles and scene collections. And these are groupings of your settings and what scenes you have set up. And so anytime you want to tinker or try something new, duplicate what you have now and call it like, you know, Twitch version two, and then make some changes. And if it works, you can keep using that. But if it doesn't work, you can delete it and still have your original Twitch profile set up to keep using or... If it doesn't work and you need to go live, you're not scrambling to try to get your settings back together. You can just switch back. Everything works great right before you go live and you can keep working on the new one. And that's a big thing a lot of people don't do is they don't like they'll just keep working from the same thing. And it's like um, it's like working from an essay or a picture. If you delete the original copy, it's a lot harder to go work backwards than to just edit iteratively. What was the second question? <laughs> Um, so the second piece of that was 
the more advanced piece. So it's it's how do you set something up um, to make it look extremely unique? But we'll get to that. We'll get to that. You okay. mentioned a couple of things that I want to really dive a little bit deeper into. And one of those things is your technology. So how important do you feel like it is for you to have just the best equipment out there? It is the most important and yet the least important. Okay. Because honestly, your average viewer doesn't care, but the more you do it and the more you work on it, the more you'll care and the more it'll be important. And that becomes very that sounds very weird to try to explain or like to say on the surface, but it makes so much sense if you've ever gotten into the details of even just video editing or live streaming. Like, at, at first, you can set up whatever and be totally happy, but then there will be some little nitpicky thing that you're like, I wish this was better, and then you start down the rabbit hole of gear. But as someone actually just said in the uh, chat, most of your viewers are on mobile, or they're not necessarily on great internet connections. A lot of people are watching on their game consoles now. So... If you have the ultimate best quality, that doesn't mean that's what the viewer sees. And it's more about having the equipment that makes your life easier rather than delivering the best quality. Because um, you're never going to have the best. Like, there's always brand new technology coming out. There's always someone with a better computer or better, net, better internet connection than you. That's a race you can't win. But making your life easier, like I mentioned with the microphone stand and things like that, is kind of what's important. Like, I have a big, fancy... $300 18 input mixer. Would I recommend that to anyone? No. I, I can't imagine. Like, I've never met a single person who has uh, asked me for help setting up their audio, and I said, yes, you should buy this $300 mixer. Because it'd be stupid. No one needs it. <laughs> but it has made my life easier as an investment of I have computer input. I have a I have things on my finger. A secondary computer input uh, for voice chat like this so I can separate it. I've got game consoles. I've got other things running through here. You can, If I can't remember it, I clearly don't need it. Oh, I've got a vinyl turntable running through here so I can balance music. So I've got, like, multiple inputs that I want to balance. You could do all this with software, and if you're comfortable doing so and you get it set up right, that's perfect. Don't worry about it. I got annoyed with, because when I first started doing this whole live stream thing, audio mixing and software was a nightmare. They've come a long way with it, but it was a nightmare when I got this set up. Well, this makes my life easier. This mixer is made for DJing and music production and a, and much higher end stuff than I'll ever do. But it makes my life easier to just balance my inputs, and I can I can add an echo. Whoa. I can do specific <laughs> things that I utilize regularly and saves me time, saves me energy, saves me thinking power. I don't have to fight with OBS's mixer because it all just runs through this one line, and either it works or it doesn't. A microphone arm. You don't want your keyboard noise hearing, you know, banging on the keyboard and, and picking up all your keyboard sounds and clacking away as you're playing a game. That's annoying. That will annoy viewers. That's not necessarily a quality thing, but it's something people are going to get annoyed by or eventually stop listening to. Getting your microphone just hovering above keyboard, that's it. Doesn't matter if it's a $5 mic arm or a $100 mic arm. Um, <laughs> that is... All that matters is that it, it can keep it out of your way. You don't have to knock it over. You're not spilling drinks on it. You're not banging your keyboard. Makes your life easier. Get a decent webcam. You don't necessarily need one. As long as people can see your face and they can see you clearly, I'd rather someone have like a 10-year-old 360p webcam but a light in front of it where we can actually see you 
than the $200 best webcam, and your light is right back here behind your head, and no one can see your face, which is how a lot of people have it set up, and how I probably had it set up for most of my starting out of YouTube and streaming, because it's just how we start things, apparently. But it, it's it's all about what makes your life easier and not what gets you the best quality because we're at a point where pretty much the bare bones equipment gets you the quality you need. You need a good microphone. You don't want to use your webcam or your laptop mic. You can start out with it if you need to, but I would suggest that being the very first thing you ever buy. But that's about it. Like you, People need to hear you and they need to see what's happening on screen. And beyond that, as long as you're entertaining and you're talking to them and hitting those marks, that's all that really matters. Okay. And how would you how would you change your equipment or maybe not even change your equipment but just change up your your broadcast so that it is easier to consume for mobile users? Is there anything or any settings that we need to change to just keep those people in mind and provide better content for them? Remember that it's a smaller screen, and this is the case with videos too. Uh you can actually look. I don't know if Twitch provides this. I haven't dived into their analytics too much but on youtube at least it tells you whether your viewers like what percentage of your viewers are on desktop computers or tvs or mobile i think it's twitch has something like that of where you can see where it is but keep in mind if most of your viewers are on mobile they're watching on this tiny little screen not a big giant monitor so tiny little text elements like the tiny little scroller saying what song is playing or what your donation is at the bottom of your screen that's like one pixel high it's great for computer users, but mobile users don't see that at all. So your alerts, your on-screen text, anything like that needs to be laid out in a way that obviously doesn't block your gameplay or whatever you're streaming, but is still visible to smaller screens. And like your webcam, you want that to be a little bit bigger. Again, you, you got to balance not covering up your screen and still having it visible, but that's the biggest thing. Um, and there's... There, there's an ongoing argument about uh, as far as video bit rates go for your live stream for mobile viewers. Because if okay. someone doesn't have what's called transcoding, which means Twitch will give them, or YouTube, would give them quality options to choose, oh, I want to watch this in low quality because I have slower internet, then certain mobile devices will struggle to actually load your stream. These days, that's less of an issue but if you are worried about that or like you're streaming a mobile game and you know a lot of people are going to be watching on mobile or you specifically want to optimize, even if you have really fast internet, stream on the lower end of the bitrate. So usually it's like uh, 2.5 megabits per second or 2,500 in the bitrate box on OBS um, because that's what mobile devices can consume. You can still get a decent 480p or 720p stream out of it and you don't got to worry about it. But these days it's not as big of a deal. It's just about the size of your on-screen elements and having good audio because again anything will look good on a tiny screen if you've ever accidentally played a video on your computer back in a tiny window you were probably amazed at how great it looked until you maximized it it's the same thing on a phone like things compress so much that it'll look great on a phone that might not on a computer so your image quality isn't super important but them being able to hear you your audio quality that's where your optimization should be that and just being able to see things in general on your screen Okay. Do you feel like, I hear this a lot, and this is actually something that I kind of tell people a lot too. Do you feel like um, audio quality is more important than video quality? Absolutely. 
And actually, Model Rocket, I think, just said that in chat. People will forgive <laughs> crappy video quality before they will bad audio, and that's very true, because I, unless you're streaming something that's purely, like, text-based, based, what they're watching is what you're having to say about it. So if you can't understand what you have to say, or, you know, if the viewer can't understand what you have to say, then anything shown on screen is kind of irrelevant. And anyone who's watched podcasts or listened to radio shows or anything like that, you don't have anything to look at. You're probably driving or walking or exercising. You're you're looking at nothing. And it's still engaging content. And the same thing applies to streams. Like, most live streams aren't Let's Plays. They're radio talk shows, shows with some gameplay happening. They're not... Mm-hmm. And so, it is all about making sure people can hear and understand you. You don't have to go overkill. This is way more expensive of a microphone than I'd ever expect anyone else to ever buy. <laughs> but it, there's a certain minimum degree of just being able to hear you, not having your computer your computer fan boosh in the background, not having your mom yell at you to get off the computer, preferably, like, organized time to where that's acceptable. You can't always deal with pets making noise. You can try to turn that into a funny thing on your stream. Um, and a big part of that comes in just treating your environment, like shut your door, turn off your fan, mm-hmm. make sure like it's cold. You can move your computer so it's not right next to your microphone. You can hang up your blankets around your recording area to sound dampen it. There's a lot you can do aside from buying equipment, but the audio quality is still number one. Okay. Awesome. What are some kind of common mistakes that you've seen a lot of streamers make. I feel like there are definitely, uh, there's probably a top five. <laughs> but what yes. are those, what are those things that you see just repeatedly done um, by smaller streamers or even larger streamers that you would like people to know about and to take more, uh, more awareness of into their own channel? <laughs> yeah. Uh, having too big or too small of a face cam. And the, the, actually, my first and second are going to be tied together. And it has to be a judgment call. And if you're comfortable with the size of where your face cam is positioned in your stream, that's fine. But if you're doing, like, if something else is your main content and you have a face cam in a corner, having that take up too much screen can be kind of awkward and obnoxious. And it's just weird looking at a giant face over top gameplay. Um, or having it too small to where we can barely see anything. At the same time, the new trend is setting up green screens so that you don't cover you know you're not a full square you're just your face but if you have a really bad green screen like if you don't have the right lighting for it or something it's gonna look really bad like i'd, r- I'd rather see what's behind you in your room even if it's nothing attractive than to see just pixelated garbage from where you're trying to green screen without <laughs> it being set up properly yeah. like it just that is my biggest complaint about like modern streaming trends is everyone rushed to get a green screen and then no one knew how to set them up or they have not enough space for it. And I'm just like, I'd rather just see your room. Like there's nothing wrong with that. Like, and especially if you have a wall behind you, make a nice little backdrop, put up some pictures, some posters, some figures, some items related to your content. You can create a nice little like backdrop set and that would work way better than half of your face getting dissolved into the green screen black hole (laughs) because you can't get a balanced right. I noticed that uh, it can be hard to to kind of set your green screen up the right way. Oh yeah, there. But the lighting is so important, you guys. That's like the biggest factor, I think. I mean, you might you're obviously going to know more about this than I will, but lighting is so important for setting up a green screen correctly. 
I mean, professional proper green screen setups and like what they use when they're doing the weather on the TV and stuff. Like mm -hmm. they have a giant like 50 foot green screen. They have lights for the green screen, lights for the host, lights for behind the host. Like actual setups are huge and have a crap load of lighting because that's the only way, especially for older cameras, you know, historically, that's the only way to get it right. Not here's a table lamp barely pointed at me and a giant green cloth <laughs> behind me. Like that, that doesn't really cut it. Especially if you're using a cheap webcam, like it can't tell the difference well enough, and then your face turns bright red because it's auto adjusting. And like I said, I'd rather just see whatever is behind you, pretty much no matter what it is. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. What are some other common mistakes in case we missed any of those? Uh, bad lighting in general, I mentioned before. Like, mm -hmm. I, I don't want to see your forehead and black spots for your eyes because the light's behind you and you're just using the monitor to light your face. Um, someone mentioned, uh, microphones being turned backwards i usually don't see that too often i mean that does happen from people that don't know how to use it but too many people will buy a microphone that's meant to be like an intimate recording like this one yeah. and then they put it like way far away and they're just like hey guys i'm talking from over here how's it going and it's all <laughs> echoey and and it's just like there are a million especially even affordable ones a million microphone solutions for whatever you're trying to do yeah. Well, I mean, but that one that one does de decently from far away. Like, it has a move for it and everything. But, I mean, you can get a nice little lavalier mic for your shirt that's like 20 bucks on Amazon and run it to your computer. So that way it's always with you. You can get a shotgun mic to point it at you that no one considers for live streaming. Like, that's like the most common video production mic is a shotgun mic that, mm -hmm. you know, they put on the boom pole and everything. You can mount that above your monitor, never have to touch it, and it'll pick you up great. But no one uses them for live streaming for some reason. Um but taking something that's meant to be like within a foot of your face and putting it halfway across your desk next to your computer fans. <sighs> and then a, I guess just not not uh, doing like a test stream or recording before you go live. Mm -hmm. And some people never like even find out if they're doing it right in the first place while they're live. But like check make sure your audio levels are working make sure you have audio at all like if i come in half an hour into your live stream to find out that you don't even have your microphone coming through yet i'm going to tell you but then i'm probably not going to stick around to see what you have to say after you fix it like at that mm -hmm. point it's not there and all it takes is literally opening up especially if you have setup that you usually just leave just hit start recording hi live stream blah 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 test stop recording play it back real quick if it works you're good or live but it's one of those like preparation steps that a lot of people do and it's super easy to just do just make your put a post-it note on your monitor test stream easy that's i've never thought of just like recording it yeah to actually like get the usually it's it's a very fun first like 10 minutes of the stream for <laughs> yeah. me and my fam we're just all trying to figure out the audio <laughs> levels and then everyone says different things and yeah it's glorious I'm trying to think of other things because there's a million things. There's just hard to mm -hmm. pinpoint. I think the green screen People... thing is huge, and the audio yeah. stuff is huge too. Those are the probably the two biggest issues that I see. Uh, I, not there. There's one little thing which is not remembering to switch your scenes. So there are plenty of times, and I'll do it too. Like everyone will do it, but like yeah. hit BRB, run to the bathroom, come back and start streaming, and then they're just like, "You're still at BRB." We can't hear you over the music. What's happening? And I'm just like, oh, my bad. Um, everyone forgets to do that. And that just has to do with actually paying attention to what's on your OBS screen. So you got to actually monitor that and make sure it's running okay. 
Um, and then a big thing which ties into the green screen thing, in my opinion, is to not not purely try to copy what all the big streamers are doing. And that plays directly into the green screen thing. Mm -hmm. Like, just because top-tier million-sub streamer has a green screen set up and it looks really nice doesn't mean you need it, because they probably have ten times more money invested into the setup, and they probably have the room for it. Like, they've probably put a lot of work into this, and just throwing it up right behind you in your bedroom, hanging off your wall and putting a light, like, you're not going to get the same results, and you don't need to. Like, that doesn't... That's not necessarily going to match what your content is or what you're trying to do. So it's more important to develop your own stuff. It's more important to work with what you have and to develop what your what your content feels like and to just pull out all the different things that everyone else tries to do. Uh, being a shelf works too. Okay. Being a shelf works too. <laughs> Be your shelf. <laughs> Best chat. Oh, yeah. they're great. <laughs> but yeah, not trying to just do things that other people do and then having poor execution for it because that leads to like a lot of common problems with any form of streaming or video creation at this point because you just can't always pull it off and I've done that too like uh, some of my very first unboxings I have this like little flip camera and I'm like holding it above what I'm trying to open doing it one handed and it's shaky and you can't see anything and it's like well I just wanted to unbox like so and so and it's like that's fine but you're not in a position to actually be able to do that so do something else Mm -hmm. or do it slightly differently. Yeah, for sure. There's a quote. Um, it's different is better than better. And so it's not necessarily creating content that you're trying to be better than, you know, PewDiePie or you're trying to be better than right. Dr. Disrespect or Shroud or anybody else. It's you are trying to be different from them. So carve out right. some kind of uniqueness, carve out some piece of your personality that you can throw into your content that makes you stand out that makes you different because people will connect with that so much stronger especially whenever it's authentically you and you are going to feel so much more like you're going to get so much more out of it whenever people are reacting positively to something that is uniquely yourself that you're putting into your content versus it's something that you copied from somebody else right so, i actually have an example of that if i can oh yeah quick. absolutely um it's not a live stream unfortunately i as Everything is shown. I'm very much more YouTube-oriented. Mm -hmm. um, but there's a channel that I watch who has gone from, like, 14,000 subscribers at the start of 2017 to, like, 114. And it, they're all legit. They're all active all the time. And it's been huge. But their content, if you look at it like a glance, kind of looks like a lot of things you would have seen from early YouTube days, where it's like the um, they do a lot of, like, game lists and game reviews and you know five games you need to play and they stand up and they have an exciting on or host and it feels kind of like the g4 tv days the gamestop tv like a lot of channels you would have seen but they have a very personal element like they focus exclusively on things they're thoroughly enjoying that comes mm -hmm. through in the content and then they spend a lot of time sharing their personal stories and so like they have a segment where they get sent in games and things to their po box and in one of those episodes they, it was a Christmas episode, and he proposed to his now fiance, and like that was shared in there. And it's you know similar content to what you've seen, but they're not trying to just emulate it. They're just throwing their own spin on it, and it happens to be in a similar format. They're all in on who they are, and they always have a backstory for everything. Like they talk about, like there's always something personal, and their channel has exploded because of it. And it's one of those things like people get mad at me for saying, but I personally feel it's easier than ever to grow 
like a video content platform as long as you have I mean there's there's some RNG in terms of the timing and the awareness and things but overall like as long as you have that true passion for it and that comes through and you have like that unique element doesn't matter what you're doing eventually you're going to find people and there's so many people out there trying to eat up as much content as possible it's actually pretty easy to grow stuff if those things fall together i agree i totally agree a lot of people are saying like it's just impossible to grow on youtube or twitch nowadays and while i definitely agree that it's harder there are people all the time like peter mckinnon just started <coughs> just started out on youtube in 2017 in one year went to 1.5 million subscribers because of just the yep. quality and consistency and just awesome stuff he, <laughs> that he was doing. And so it's not impossible. It's just we need to find ways to be more unique and to do things differently, not try to do them better or copy anybody else. And that can be really scary, I think, for a lot of people because they see something that works and they just want to copy it because it works. But I mean, you're not that person, right? So you can't just copy what right. that other person is doing. It just, it doesn't work for you. It's definitely, yeah, it's a lot. Especially all the people that want to be the next Casey Neistat and stuff. And it's yes. like, that oh was God. cool because that's the first time we saw that. Mm -hmm. But like, I don't want to watch five different channels that have time lapses of New York skyline and them walking around and riding on hoverboards. Like, I'm sorry, it's no longer interesting at that point. Right. And there's a lot of times where and you were exactly right in terms of saying that it's scary like sharing what is more personal to you than mm -hmm. like a generic thing you want to cover like i want to cover video games well how do video games relate to you i want to cover video games but i don't have the ability to just scream at games like pewdiepie then why are you trying to be pewdiepie don't do that do something else like you don't have to live in new york to make the kind of content like nice that does and still yeah. make it interesting like most people don't get to see the rest of the country like displayed in that way. Like if you live in the middle of nowhere, there is probably something really cool you do on a regular basis that you could show off, but you're not thinking about it because that's not what you see and you don't want to share that personal element, but that is what people will like eat up. Yeah. And just jumping in there and yelling at a game that everyone else has already yelled at or uh, you know, showing they're trying to make the same format of vlogs, like that's not you. That's not what you it's not why it relates to you and it takes it can take a long time to actually figure that out, but as long as you know that that is the goal you're working towards, that's more important than pretty much anything else. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that that's something that a lot of people want to do is just emulate somebody else. And that authenticity and that, like, <coughs> God, that aspect <laughs> of, like, actually being genuine and pulling pieces into your life means that you have to be means that you have to be vulnerable and that's why it's so scary because you have to give pieces of yourself knowing that there are trolls out there knowing that there are gonna there are gonna be people telling you that you're stupid or that your life sucks or that they just don't like certain aspects of your personality but it's still something that you have to do because that genuine side <laughs> of yourself and that authenticity is what people legitimately connect with so right. i think it's super important I spent the longest time trying to do gaming Let's Plays because that's what all the people I watched did. That's how they made it famous. That's what I wanted to do. But I'm not all that entertaining when I'm playing a game. <laughs> and, like, when it's when it's not for a stream or a video, I don't even usually talk all that much. Like, I've gotten better about it just because I've forced myself to come out of my bubble and stuff. But if I'm playing a game, I'm sitting there like this. 
Like I'm, I'm, I'm playing the game. I'm not. Oh my god! Did you see that? And blah blah. blah. Like I'm, I'm, I'm not that person. But I spent so long trying to do that when that wasn't what would make interesting content because that's not what I do. I think a lot of people are that way. Like they, they see content X. They want to do generically an idea here, and so they just want to do whatever they see other people doing when a lot of time needs to be put into brainstorming and experimenting to see what it is exactly that makes your situation unique in a relation mm-hmm. to that. And we all struggle with it. And you're anyone starting out now is going to struggle with it. But as long as that's kind of like the goal you're working towards, I think you're going to have way more success than pretty much anyone else. Totally. And there are definitely exercises you can do where you sit down and you're like, okay, what is it about me that is different from all of these other people who is doing something or who, who is, <laughs> who am I, who, what do I have about my personality or about my life that I can bring into the content space that just makes me stand out. That makes me different. And you can just sit down and like, this is literally what I did before I started creating all this content to help streamers. I was like, okay, what, what is unique? Like what's the, the superpower that I have that I can bring to this space to make it better because it's about increasing the value of YouTube or increasing the value of Twitch overall. And (laughs) for a lot of people like that might take a while to discover. So if all you're doing right now is just playing games and you're like, there's nothing really that unique about me. I think that's totally fine. And I think at some point, you will figure out like, oh, there is something unique. There's something about myself that is is valuable. You can definitely find that out more quickly, or at least in, from what I can tell more quickly, if you like, sorry, my cat is digging through all of the things. Um, <laughs> You're good. If instead of just jumping on and making gaming videos, if you don't feel like you have anything unique to offer, I swear if he turns off everything, um, then to live stream it, like have someone else question you. Like that yeah. live streaming is the best way to find out things about yourself because you'll have people in real time questioning why you do things. And that can be scary, but that's the best way to figure it out because uploading a video, if no one watches it, then you don't have that feedback and you don't necessarily want super crazy constructive, constructive criticism. You don't want people telling you what to do, but questioning why you do things will get you thinking. And I'd much rather see average Joe playing a game, doing so live and at least talking to people and making friends then just upload it. Like, I've seen so many channels that have, like, 200 subscribers, and they've spent four years uploading, like, 50-part Let's Plays to themselves. And I'm just like, I'm glad you're having fun with that, but I have to imagine it's so very lonely. And I'm so sorry you're doing this. Yeah. I definitely, like, acknowledge that there is... There's a type of person who will always just want to either create YouTube videos or stream and they just do it because they enjoy it and they don't care about making connections or growth or anything else. And I think that's fine. Like if you don't want to worry about growth or or growing a a platform and having a voice and all of that, totally fine. But there are so many people that (coughs) (coughs) that are trying to to grow and that are trying to like put their uniqueness out there that just haven't found it yet or I don't know if they if they have they've just been trying and trying and trying and not getting any kind of attention whatsoever and it could be really discouraging so I really feel for those people that are like smaller creators that just can't 
figure it out yet. So right. um, let's uh, let's get back into actual broadcasting software a little bit. Okay. I definitely feel like all that information is super useful, and I know that that's stuff that people that are especially discouraged right now need to hear, small creators need to hear, even large creators need to hear. Maybe they just, you know, they might have just got lucky. I've definitely spoken to larger creators that they didn't really know, like, <coughs> other than just being in the right place at the right time, they didn't know anything about growing. They didn't know, you know, it, it's it's very bizarre to see that, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, let's let's talk about broadcasting software. Um, why is it that you chose OBS over XSplit? I have certain thoughts on XSplit that I necessarily say 100% publicly, but let's just oh. say I don't like <laughs> the software a whole lot. It's great for a lot of people, and it's super... There are certain aspects of XSplit that's really easy to use, and that's why it was so popular for a long time and why they've been able to actually sell it when there's options like OBS, which is free. It's pretty easy to use. You just add your sources, it kind of handles things automatically, and you're good to go. I'm a pixel junkie. I'm a quality freak. And there's so many, like, manual adjustments that I want to make to actually, like, get the best quality that you can't do in XSplit. And, like, one of the biggest things is, as far as I've been able to tell, there's no way to get, like, really good quality audio out of XSplit. It just, you, you have two options, and they're both not great, and I've always disliked it. And that was the number one thing for me, especially when I was still doing, uh, instead of having like hardware processing for my microphone, I'd do like equal equalization and stuff in editing and having that super compressed audio just sounds like garbage once you start adding compression and stuff to it. And so I just didn't like how little control it gave you and it just never felt right for me. Like I never knew what was going on. I never had control over much. I had like very basic settings. And like I said, I recommended it to a lot of people for a long time because of how easy it was to use. Now I'm going to probably point them more towards Streamlabs OBS. Um, but oh. it was just nothing that I could really get behind myself because I'm the nerd that wants to learn what I'm doing. I want with some things, but, and so there's not a whole lot technically different about it it's just very set up to be i mean it's a paid program so you pay mm -hmm. for it to work so it works easily and then you have paid support when it doesn't work whereas obs is an open source project where you can develop your own plugins and they're just like it works or you know here here's the stuff good luck <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and that's and that's where i get to come in and show you how to use it i guess uh so i i think it still has a place for some people it's just not what I wanted to use, and especially in my early YouTube and streaming days, I wasn't in a position to pay a subscription fee for a software, mm -hmm. and they they used to have lifetime licenses, but I wasn't an owner of one, so it was just not an option, and OBS is like, hey, we're free, and we do all the same things, and I'm just like, okay, cool. we'll try that. <laughs> what kind of people is, uh, is XSplit good for? Uh... People who, especially since there is a free version, like if you're just starting out and you are not super tech savvy or you don't want to figure it out, there's um, there's a lot of reasons for that. Like it's the whole like Mac versus PC debate. Like a lot of the Mac side of things is things just work and when they don't work, you can call Apple and they will make it work. And that has some value for a lot of people. And those who just want to set up their capture card and their webcam and go and not deal with the headache of learning the settings, there's no problem. If you work all day and you just want to come home and stream and have a good time, the last thing you want to do is spend an hour 
figuring out settings you don't understand and watching my five-hour tutorial to try to figure it out and then bashing your head into the keyboard. Like, I do not blame anyone for that. And totally fine. Go right ahead. But if you want to either get, like, ridiculously high-quality recordings or you want to manually change this one little aspect that uh, XSplit won't, OBS is a much better choice. Awesome. I totally agree. Um, we did have a question from chat that I wanted to pull out. I want to make sure that we got that. Where did it go? Um, uno momento. <laughs> okay. It was from Daddy. He said, <laughs> I'd love Episvox's take on OBS regarding low CPU preset and low bit rate versus high P CPU preset and high bit rate. Okay. So... <laughs> For those who are unaware, with the standard way that OBS and video programs compress your videos, there are there's a setting called the CPU usage preset, which basically just determines how hard your processor is going to work stream the video. Because you can tell it to do in real time really, really fast, and it'll get it done, but it won't necessarily be the best quality. Or you can tell it to go really slow, use up your whole processor, and it's going to look a little bit better. And so if you have a dedicated streaming PC, if you have a two-PC setup... Uh, the lower CPU presets works great because that is all your computer is doing. And that's really cool. Like, even if you have... And actually, I recommend two PC setups even more if you have a slower internet connection. Because even on slow internet, you can get video feeds that look a lot better than people with fast internet because they don't have it optimized correctly. So if you have slow internet, you have a dedicated computer to crunch that video and do it the whole time. Even at a low bit rate, you can set that CPU preset pretty low. Your computer's going to work really, really hard but your video is going to look okay. Mm -hmm. But if you're lucky enough to have a fast internet connection, you can get away with not doing that, and it'll still look acceptable and fine for most people, and it's totally okay. Um, so it's kind of just a balance of what your resources available are, because if you're streaming a console game or just a webcam or something, your computer still has a lot of available resources. You don't need two computers. You can crank it down. If you are going to mess with those things, I definitely recommend setting up multiple profiles. You know, set up Twitch-console, Twitch-PC. That way you can switch between them and not screw up your settings. Because if you're playing a computer game or doing something high, you know, streaming yourself, editing a video, which is very intense on a computer, um, while using that lower preset, you're, it's going to lock up, it's going to drop frames, it's going to look, you know, get really laggy because you're trying to tell it to do two top priority things and it's not going to work out okay that makes sense how how do we set up obs to stream editing videos because that's just that's so much on your computer that's just crazy um would recommend doing so with if you have it available and i have a video talking about this um hardware yes. encoding which uh, uses either your graphics card or with certain Intel processors, there's a built-in kind of like video encoder chip on the processor that's separate from the normal processor. Um, and that's either QuickSync or NVIDIA has NVINC and then AMD has their own one. Um, you can set up hardware encoding so that your video editing program's using up your full processor, but OBS is primarily using like a dedicated graphics card chip for it. Not everyone has that available, at which point you need to crank up what we were just talking about, that CPU usage preset, to very fast or something so that it's not spending a lot of time compressing. It's just kind of spitting the frames out. But since you're showing a desktop capture, 
you know, you might have your video preview in your video editor, but everything else is just static panels. Like, not a whole lot is changing. That's way easier to compress than a video game where you have everything moving really, really fast and explosions happening on screen. That's a lot, that's a lot more to compress than just a static window of editing program. And so it's actually not that bad at all. Um, yeah, and you can get away with a lot more by doing desktop capture stuff because there's just so little moving on screen at once. Okay. And for people that don't know, can you tell us a little bit more about what Invinker, QuickSync, and all of those are? Yeah, so uh, <coughs> I think they're incorporating them into AMD processors, but I'm pretty sure right now Intel processors and then AMD and NVIDIA graphics cards mm -hmm. um, for you know what you run your games. They now have dedicated, well, they've always had, but they now have for us available dedicated video encoding chips. So you have like the main processing chips on the card, but then they have one made just for video because it's so common these days. And so that's what card that would be NVENC or AMD's is called like VCE or something weird. But in OBS, you'll be able to choose between the software renderer, which is called X264, which is what everything uses to encode video, and NVENC or, or Intel QuickSync or AMD VC, and it just uses dedicated chip on whatever processing hardware you have available to encode the video and drastically reduces your processor load. Um, the AMD and NVIDIA one pretty much takes no processor usage because your processor's kind of handling your webcam and whatever feeds are coming in, but it's not doing the actual encoding, which is the intense part. Your graphics card is. And so it makes it way easier on your system. You can do a lot more. And as Fabio said, like for a lot of people, that's the only way they can stream certain games because your processor is working so hard to run the game or your program or whatever you're trying to stream that the graphics card can take over and do all of that because it has the chip for it. So even if you're running an intense game, that chip is still working and independently. And so it can encode way more and just makes it a lot easier. It does come at a quality cost. There is a little bit lower quality for a lot of settings if you use that dedicated encoder but it can save your bacon for doing a lot of things. And I use it for like most things I record and I'm a quality nut. So, oh, wow. <laughs> so do you recommend that for people that are having problems streaming something like PUBG? I know there were a lot of problems whenever PUBG first came out, like so many people were having issues trying to stream it, but they do it anyways. It just looks like yeah. slideshow. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, and for pretty much streaming anything, like if you have performance problems, check your encoder settings and see if you have hardware encoding and not even just with OBS, but like pretty much anything these days now has a checkbox for that to check it um, and see if that's available and try it out because you will most likely find that it fixes whatever performance issue you're having. It is pretty amazing to be honest. Like this is, this is something graphics cards have had forever. Like, this, that was actually a big deal back in the early 2000s when they were advertising graphics cards. It's like, it's got super fancy video decoder, blah, blah, blah. And everyone's just like, we don't care. We just want to play games. But that's what this was kind of working towards, was they've been developing this, and now it's available. And they make software for it, and it works in OBS. They've done a great job of integrating that. It started as a plug-in, and now it's part of the core software. Um, and pretty much... If you have any sort of frame rate or performance issues in OBS, switch over to hardware encoding. If you have it, you're probably good to go. And if you don't have it available, you probably need to start looking to upgrade your computer anyway to live stream. Because that means you're on like a lower end laptop or something. And while you can get away with streaming, it's going to be hard. <laughs> okay. That's good to know. Okay. So definitely check out and see if you have like NVENC and 
quick sync and all of those and your encoder options on OBS if you're having problems streaming something like PUBG or I think Overwatch even had issues for a while. I still have a ton of issues with Overwatch, but that's me it's not a common thing. It's just something that I my computer just won't handle it for some reason. Please, computer. I wish they just like would magically upgrade on their own. Yeah. That's part of the reason I stopped streaming back in the spring, too, was, like, I wanted to start. I had really gotten into Overwatch. I'm like, okay, I'll just stream Overwatch so I could kill two birds with one stone. And it just would not work at all. And so I just kind of gave up. No. Okay, let's uh, let's talk about Streamlabs OBS. This is a pretty hot topic right now. This is kind of, like, on everybody's, uh, on everybody's mind because... They finally came out with their own broadcasting software. Props to Streamlabs, first off, okay, because not only do they have that, but then they also do the alert packages, and they integrated with, like, Ankbot, and they took over, um, what was that, that thing that made all the emotes, like, pop up on your stream? I can't remember what Oh, yeah, they have some sort of Snapchat filter thing. Uh, Not tested that one yet, but apparently that's, like, a big deal. They're all Um, over the place. They're yeah. just, they're, they're doing so many just amazing, like, production things. So, talk to me about Streamlabs OBS and uh, how you see the future of their broadcasting software going, um, and if it's, like, a viable product for us to actually be replacing OBS with. I see it a great thing, but also a not-so-great thing, because what it is is what's called a fork of OBS, which is term used for open source software where anyone can go in and make their own version of it, um, which means, you know, they're not, they didn't develop a plugin for OBS. They didn't work with the OBS team. They took the code that the OBS team has put together and then added their own stuff onto it and re-released it as their own, which the license allows them to do. That's what open source software is. But that means that both software started in one point, which is whatever version OBS existed when they started developing Streamlabs OBS but now they're going to go in two totally different directions. So features you might see released in OBS Studio aren't necessarily going to pop up in Streamlabs OBS, and you can't get any of the features that Streamlabs OBS introduces natively into normal OBS, which is something I've gotten a ton of questions about since my video went up, because they, they have a couple really cool features. Like, if you're resizing uh, videos on your canvas in OBS, it shows, like, the sizes and the pixel measurements and everything. Really cool stuff, like, from Ooh. Photoshop. And people are like, ooh, how do I get that in normal OBS? You don't. They developed that specifically for theirs, and so there's no... It's not a hidden option or something. It's just something they made themselves. Um, And so, if you like Streamlabs, if you use their alerts and their donation buttons and all of that stuff, it's probably the best version for you to use because of how heavily it's integrated. Um, They make it super easy to set all that up instead of copy and paste in your widget box into the browser source and configuring that. Like It is like two clicks. You're like, oh, I want to add a widget. I want to add alerts and it pops it up and you got alerts and they make it really really easy which is awesome like that's really cool um and the integration to the stickers and the emoji that show up and stuff is really neat um sorry to to interrupt real quick but do you feel like the ease of use kind of kills xsplit at this point yes okay that's actually what i was working towards was that it is extremely easy to use no no you're totally good (laughs) It is extremely easy to use, um, which is both a good and a bad thing. But to me, that was, like I said earlier, I used to recommend everyone try XSplit. 
I don't think there's a reason to recommend XSplit anymore. Like, there's nothing. They haven't done a whole lot with development over the past few years. They haven't done anything innovative. There's people who would prefer it just because they've used it for so long, like they're used to it. But OBS is a lot more innovative, and the direct integration of Streamlabs is clearly... What usually happens when stuff like this happens is Streamlabs probably spent a long time talking to like the stream or talking to the XSplit team and being like, "Hey, we want to integrate with your software because people love us and they want to be able to use this easier." And XSplit never got back to them. The same thing happened with the little Elgato Stream Deck keypad. It took forever for them to get a plugin, so it wasn't available at launch. And so they probably spent forever trying to get XSplit to work with them. XSplit never did, so they went and developed their own version of OBS because that was quicker and easier. And so. You have all these new features. You have an easy-to-use UI. There's no real advantage other than the direct customer support that XSplit probably provides, because you pay for it, to use XSplit over Streamlabs OBS. Unless you don't like being called a slob, then you have to. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so it's good. Are they actually going to have Stream Deck integration then? Yes. Um, they're working on it. Basically what happened was since... It is a different version of OBS. It just kind of broke support for all of the plugins that work with normal OBS because they're all made for normal OBS, how it looks, how it acts, and everything else. And so the plugins don't automatically work with the new version, um, but they're working to get that sorted out um, from what I've heard from them. I, don't, I have not heard specifically from the Elgato team if they're playing ball with that. Streamlabs themselves is working to get that sorted. Um, and the same thing with the like VST audio plugins and the NDI plugins. Like It'll take... It may take the plugin developers making a separate version. Um, so that might be a little iffy as far as to which developers actually do it. Um, but they're trying to get uh, Stream Deck support working as quickly as possible. And then they'll work to get other plugins back together. Because it is only in beta. Like, this is very much a work in progress thing. There are things that don't work for some people that work for some. and But they're making good progress so far. What do you feel like the ETA is going to be until they actually like are able to ship something that isn't glitchy? I've heard some people complain about either like glitches or stuff not working, um, different things not being integrated, so they haven't actually switched over to Streamlabs OBS yet. Is this something that they're trying to like work on for a long time, or do you feel like they're going to have like a shippable version that is complete pretty quickly? Like, is this very is this very like high up on their on their to do list? I don't that know. I don't know. Um, I would have to imagine it is because this would have had to be like big, dedicated. Like this would have taken a lot of their resources and time. And with the way that they do release things, I would have to imagine that they expect to have something to ship relatively soonish. Um, like clearly, they needed the beta test run to see and get feedback and stuff. And so I would think that within six months, six months ish. They want to get something released. The problem is, OBS itself is always changing and updating and glitching and things like that. It's an ongoing project. And so, excuse me, I have to wonder how realistic their expectation of that would be. Um, but I, I think it would be silly to pose this as it is, as like an easier to use, more user-friendly, more directly integrated with, you know, our Streamlabs stuff, and and ha and not have it be some sort of or not expect it to be some sort of polished release because mm -hmm. then 
instead of just the OBS team and us unfortunate tutorial makers being responsible for providing tech support for those who have qu questions about OBS, it will be on Streamlabs to provide support for it. And so if it doesn't work or, you know, it's glitchy, they got to deal with that. Like, they, they have to deal with the support for that and the PR for that. And so I would have to imagine they have some sort of timeline to actually get something polished out, even if... Which is why I wanted to point out that it will go in a different direction of normal OBS because they... Like, OBS is super innovative because they get to introduce all sorts of features and whether it works or not is not really their problem. Whereas Streamlabs will have to have more, like, stable releases. And so you're going to see a lot of new features come out in normal OBS that won't come out in Streamlabs OBS, at least for a long time. And so there's going to be some disparity there. And they're going to fight an interesting battle in terms of releasing software that they want, or that people want, but also that will work properly. And so... I I'm skeptical, but I'm hopeful too because I really think this is something to recommend to people is if you don't like how complicated this is, go try this version. It handles everything for you, but it's still the main OBS backend. Yeah, and I love that it's like integrated with all of Streamlabs as well. It just makes it so easy. And now it's like if people had any questions about which alert product to use, which company to go for, like... Streamlabs is just trying to take over literally everything so that they right. can provide you with everything that you need to run a stream so that you don't have to have like this alert package and this broadcasting software yeah. and this, <laughs> um, what was the, the stream elements thing that they, I still can't remember the name of it. I had a lot of companies reach out remember. to me recently with their own overlays and, uh, you know, engagement yeah. platforms. And there's uh, one that the Stream Deck uses. I forget. It has a ridiculous name. Let me pull up the program because it was, it's really silly. Uh, yeah, Tippy Stream with like three E's. And that one, like, you can create your entire stream layout in their website and just use a single browser source and stuff. And it's really cool. But it's one of those things where it's a lot of different things to recommend to people. So this definitely positions Streamlabs in a really good way uh, to be the all-in-one solution mm -hmm. as long as it works for those people. And someone asked, uh, do you think they'll find a way to monetize it? I would hope not, like, but Streamlabs has found a way to, like, monetize everything they do to a degree. Like, even if you just, like, submit tips, they're like, oh, subscribe to Streamlabs Prime or whatever so you can get pay us and pay them and you get fancy emotes on your tip pop-up and alerts and so I'm scared to see what they might do. What I do see, um, they have, and if you haven't looked at Streamlabs OBS, this is actually a really cool feature. They have a built-in library of like user-generated overlays and um, on-screen elements that you can use and download right in the software, which is really cool. I might oh. see them opening up like a marketplace for that where like people could sell their stuff, which would make them a little bit money from a little bit of money from the transactions if anyone actually uses it. I would think the point of it being a lot of like beginner streamers who aren't going to invest money, but they might try it. Um, the problem being is that it's also going to be flooded with a bunch of people who barely understand Photoshop trying to sell mm -hmm. stuff and make money, so they'll have to curate it a bit. Um, but I do foresee them trying to make money from it from some way, which will be a little awkward. I don't think they can sell it because of the, like, I haven't looked at the terms of the specific open source license, but I don't think they'll be able to sell the program itself. Um, but there will be some way that they make a cut of it, I think. Epis, this 
uh, podcast episode <laughs> is going to be out on Friday. And then the YouTube video will probably be out um, either Thursday or Sunday. I don't know like what my upload schedule is looking like right now. But thank you so much for coming on, and I'll make sure to uh, email you or hit you up with all of those links, okay? Alrighty. Thank you. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs> what a cool dude. All right, let's... Uh... <laughs> We did it, family. Thank you guys so much for hanging out. I'm sorry I am just totally, like, dying of the plague. <laughs> but it has been it has been an intense couple of weeks for me. Uh, and so I really appreciate you guys chilling while I am dying. That's really cool of you. Ugh. So basically what's going to go down um, as far as... <laughs> I haven't really talked about, like, the new year my direction for a lot of like different content and stuff like that. Um, so if you guys don't know me, uh, what I do is I create content to help Twitch streamers get better at the things that they do, which is why I interview awesome people like Epis Fox to help people up their game in a plethora of different topics, whether that be with production or building a brand online, building a community, all of that stuff. We have a really kick-ass Discord with a lot of people that really love to help out. So if you're interested, I think the link for our Discord is down below somewhere. <coughs> but... Basically, the game plan, because I haven't talked to you guys about this yet, is that the first quarter of 2018, so <coughs> January to March, is still going to be very heavily focused on YouTube. We're still going to be releasing three or four videos a week. I'm going to try to finish an ebook before then, because in April, we are coming back to streaming consistently. And when that happens, I have a huge project that is going to be starting, okay? I can't tell you everything about it yet, but this thing is going to be really awesome and I'm very excited for it. We have a lot of people helping out and it should be pretty hype. Thank you so much, Savi, and thanks so much again, Epis. Oh! <coughs> I'm dying. God. Thank you. I really appreciated having you on, dude. You're very fun. You're a very cool guy. You're way too... way, way, way more smarter than me. <laughs> way more smarter. <laughs> okay, this is fine. Um... Hey, Shannon. Hi, Bot Bubbles. I love you. Okay, and then we have the big project coming in April. Um, and <clears throat> after that, we're going to be hitting it hard with a couple of different things. So we're going to have like a mastermind group where we have a few different streamers on and we talk about our streams and how to improve them. And that's going to be in the podcast as well. So we're probably going to go up to like two podcast episodes a week while we'll four YouTube videos a week. And... I need to like really cut myself off whenever we get to about that place because that's going to be a lot of production and that's going to be a lot of work for me and I don't want to burn out and I'm going to be better about not burning out this time, I swear I will. I'm not going to be better about it. Wasabi, I need you to control me. <laughs> I'm. It's so hot. Holy jeez. Alright guys. <coughs> P.S. This entire interview came to you live from <coughs> my couch. Because I didn't feel like getting up off the couch. I feel like shit. So now I'm going to go eat some soup. <clears throat> Try not to die. I'll be in Discord the rest of the night. If you guys have any more questions or want to chill or just hang out, um, I... 
I will be there. I ate so many cough drops. <laughs> Is this real? What the? F okay. <laughs> oh my god. All right, guys. I will see you. Um, in I will have some honey and tea for sure. <clears throat> I will do my best. Girl's gonna OD, dude. I know. I'm, I'm tripping. I got the I got the no sugar kind, you know, so I don't overdose on sugar. But yeah, I'm gonna dip on out, guys. Uh, I need to relax, and I will see you guys. We actually have another interview <coughs> in two days, so I will see you back there for that. Keep an eye on social media. I'll make sure to let you know in Twitter and Discord and all of that too. I love you guys. Thank you so much for hanging out. Thank you, Epis Fox, for being on and everyone else. I will see you guys in Discord. Bye! Thank you so much, Epis Fox, for coming on the show. I really love all of your content. The Streamlabs OB, or not Streamlabs, the OBS Masterclass was so good and answered some of even my own questions. So I really appreciate that a ton. If you guys haven't checked his stuff out yet, I'll make sure to link all of his links down below in the show notes. So make sure that you visit that on the podcast player that you're listening to and check out his stuff. If you guys have information that you think would be valuable for streamers i'd love to have you on the show you can reach me on any of my social media it is at ashney christ or you can email me ashneychrist at gmail.com also if you guys just want to be my friend too that's cool i'm i'm down with i'm down with just getting some new friends and hanging out and talking so feel free to follow me anywhere let me know that you heard the podcast and i'll be sure to follow you back and and we can chat a little bit I'll see you guys in the next episode. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Stream Coach Podcast. See you next week.